0: Welcome to episode two of the New Horizons podcast. I'm your host, Steve, and joining me in the studio today, we have got Colin. Hi, all. And we have also got a guest host, Mike, who was from Gatecast. Welcome to the show. Thank
1: you very much. Hello, everybody.
0: First of all, did you just want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and sort of Gatecast and any other productions you've been involved in?
1: Myself? Uh... Nope. <laughs> As my long-term podcast co-host Alan will say, he's known me for about nine years. He ain't got a clue what I look like. He's not quite sure. We've, we've never met. I like it that way. Basically, uh, I live in Oakston, a small town in the middle of middle of England, halfway between Nottingham and Derby. I work in Nottingham. I love science fiction. I've relied on podcasts to give me thousands and tens of thousands of hours of enjoyment while i've been working over the years and i got talked into doing a stargate podcast about nine years ago i finished that this year and now i'm gonna just appear every now and again on other people's podcasts such as this
0: one all the fun but without the stress exactly (laughs) what's your history with star trek when did you start watching that i'm a
1: original series i grew up watching captain kirk and mr spock uh both live action and uh, animated, I've often tried to figure out when did I first see Star Trek, and the only conscious remember you know remembrance of it is an original series episode. I'm sure though I were watching the uh, live action at the time, but uh, orig- original series right from the word go. Well, from when it aired in Britain anyway. I'm not quite that old, close but not quite that old. <laughs> I watched TNG when it first premiered in the UK. Uh, First on BBC and then on Sky, DS9, Voyager, first premieres, Enterprise, same. So I've always watched Star Trek whenever it came on. Discovery is not going to be any different, although I'll be uh, quite honest and say at this point I'm not overly excited about uh, the show.
0: This episode we are covering what we know of the Federation with what we have seen so far and heard so far about Star Trek Discovery. So, what do we know so far? It's based 10 years before Kirk's five-year mission. Places it 2255-ish. Now, that's the only date we've got at the moment, which we've been told is around the commission of the USS Discovery. Now, the cage was actually based a year before then. At this time, what we know of the federation and the people in it um spock was born in 2230 made spock um 25 around the commission of the discovery and kirk being three years younger than him he would be 22. so we know they're about in this timeline we know that spock was in the cage so we know he is being assigned to the uss enterprise whether or not We do eventually get to see or hear about the Enterprise we don't yet know. But hopefully that gives people a sort of a rough guess in what sort of era we're looking at. The Federation-Klingon War was around 2267. So we know that we're dealing with Klingons. Twelve years before to sort of explode into the brief war that they actually had. Of course, um, ended in, was it, Errand of Mercy with uh, the Organians. This is the sort of era that we're talking about. We know there are some changes in a lot of aspects of the show, especially visually, which you would expect, especially with the original series coming out 50 years ago, um, you wouldn't expect them to use the same sort of technology and look that you had back in the 1960s. Of course, they used very bright colours, especially for things like the uniforms, because Colour TVs were coming out. It's the sort of thing that showed up nicely on these TV sets. Visually, get a look when it comes to uniforms. It's almost a cross between roughly what we see in Enterprise, because it's, it's almost like that jumpsuit. It's more formal military. Yeah, I mean,
2: the technology also is different with Enterprise to get to the point that he was making about TOS, because it's of the time. And they went from more of a submarine feel on Enterprise, which worked. Yeah. And then you've got like the phase pistols and the phase cannons and then and then they gradually introduced the tech that we know in TOS. But in Enterprise it's more about exploration. And obviously going into Discovery it's gonna be more militaristic because of the Klingon um, conflict. And then you jump forward ten years to T O S and they're back to exploring because you know the Klingon war's being resolved. So this discovery is kind of in the middle of two exploration themed.
0: The original series was originally out. The Klingons were TV's version of the Russians. Because um, the USSR at the time, you'd got the Cold War, things are heating up, a lot of blustering from both sides. Whether And there's a lot of confusion about whether or not thing was actually going to happen. Will it happen or won't it happen? So both sides were preparing in case... When it came to Enterprise, in the final series, we actually got to see a bit more about um, the Klingons, and we'll go further more into the Klingons in episode three. And in there, we get that sort of interaction with um, with humans and the Klingons, um, and especially when it comes to eugenics, and we learn how they end up losing their foreheads which was a question which first started to arise after the motion picture sort of had the very first Klingon with ridges um because the original series they all had flat heads and then of course when it came to the next generation they'd still got and then in Deep Space Nine um was it Trial and Tribulations wasn't it um where the DS9 crew go back to the
2: 1701
0: Enterprise. uh, seven yeah. And sort of, um, Worf turned around and says, um, what was it? Um, We don't discuss it with outsiders. outsiders. That's it. And nothing else was really said about the reason why there was such a change. And when it came to Enterprise, you'd got a lot of fans which were saying, why have we got Klingons? Because, of course, in, was it Broken Bow? Was that the title of the first episode? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we got a Klingon, four ridges, and they're going, hang on, why have we got ridges now and not then? And they do eventually answer it a few years later for us, um, which actually made it fit in. It was a nice sort of um, reason and explanation, and it sort of fitted in with what we knew of the eugenics wars, um, before the Federation was founded. So it worked quite well. And it also sort of raised the questions, is this why the Klingons hated um the Federation so much? Not only did were their cultures so completely different, um, and even in Enterprise the amount of times that sort of Jonathan Archer ended up stopping sort of things the Klingons were doing. But yeah, we'll sort of go more into that sort of information in the next episode now mike you said that what you've seen so far of discovery hasn't really sort of gripped you that much um is there a reason why is it because of what you've seen of where things fit in on the federation side or just in total
1: well i was i was originally uh excited about the prospect new star trek fantastic uh how could you not be uh Of course, uh, it helped that uh, Fuller was involved. I've always liked his work. Uh, Always tends to produce something a little different, and that is what Star Trek would need on the the small and the big screen, because, as we all know, television has changed dramatically in the way stories are told. Uh, We were definitely going to get something different. Uh, When the months went by, uh, a year went by, changes and personnel people falling out, people moving on, at that point it became well, they're making the right mess of it aren't they? So when they started uh, releasing casting news a few teasers, uh, the teaser trailer, yeah uh, wasn't impressed with that at all, Uh, that could have been releasing something a little bit too early but they kinda put put themselves into a corner they had to get something out uh, to prove uh, it was a legitimate production.
0: Yeah, it's a proof of concept, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, but uh, at this point, it was just the fact that I'll sit down and watch it when it turns up. That's why I've not really been that interested about all the promotional material or the hoopla they've been trying to generate uh, over the last few months, including so many uh, panels at the SDCC. Although I have watched some of them. So a lot of the details about uh, the background of the characters that has been released so far, I'm I'm pretty much unaware of. I was planning on trying to stay away from all the all the new trailers and then just sit down and make my mind up on the night.
0: It was a different ship layout, um, and since that original trailer, we know that the ship design has changed quite a li- a bit in certain areas as well, and of course in the subsequent trailers that we've had, we have only seen. other ships that are involved. We haven't actually seen anything of the USS Discovery, so that's still being left as a big sort of reveal. I know that they had to get something out to say, look, this is coming, and I know it was very early, but I liked the way that they didn't really show anything off in that first trailer. They kept it all very basic. They'd got the basic design there they had a quick cg render sorted for it and that was it it was just like something new is coming which is what a trailer is supposed to be um these days i think we get way too much in trailers that by time you actually watch the film you know exactly what's happening that with what they've done with Discovery, I think they've released just enough that you get to see a lot of the looks of it, but it's not really giving you anything sort of story wise for it.
1: Which is a good thing, like you say. Exactly. Um, because they they are walking a minefield, story wise. The the decision to, to go the prequel route, it gives them a lot of a lot of structure to work on, to build upon, which is great for story, you know, for writers. But it also means they're limited to what they can do if they want to stay within even the basic framework of what's come before. And personally, personally, I wouldn't. I would prefer to not see a prequel.
0: In some respects, I can actually agree with that. But in others, if they'd actually done it, that it was a sequel to everything else that we've seen. They're then into an era where the federation has so much technology that it's so easy to get around it, and especially with how sort of storytelling is so different to even as it was in sort of TNG DS9 days, and even more so from um, the original series, that you want to do something more character-based. Now, having it as a prequel limits your technology level. So, it's in the universe. It's somewhat familiar. Of course, you will get the updates to the visual aspects of things. And even when it comes to things like uniform, what they had back then, even money-wise for uniforms, um, you just have to have a look in like Deep Space Nine and, and Voyager. They had got mixes of uniforms you got like old style tng uniforms being worn with other characters wearing the newer ones because they just didn't have the money to make sure everyone wore the same style uniform in some episodes whereas these days you have they've got that money they're being given that money to do that this time and not to mention when you've got things that are coming out in 4k You can see so much detail just on the screen, which back in the day when, especially TOS came out, what you were viewing it on didn't have that detail. The most you really got to use was colour, which is what they went for. Everything was really bright. Whereas these days you can spot the tiniest defect because you've got 4K even on a HD screen sort of thing. There's just so much you can see from it, which... They didn't have to think about back then because it wasn't really an issue. And by limiting the potential of just saying this technology gets us out of it, it's more character based.
1: I think one thing Star Trek and any well-written sci-fi proves that the human race, humanity remains as is, regardless of the technology that propels them outward. That's uh, one, of, one of the beauties human beings. Yes, Gene Roddenberry wanted to give us the idea that it was all going to be sweetness and light. You know, we'd get to a point where a little switch would flicking in every human being and we'd all get along, we'd all pull together for the benefit of uh, the human race. We know that that's probably not going to happen. Yeah. But no doubt there will be advances uh, in technology, certainly, let's hope so. Anyway, we don't destroy ourselves before then. But uh, humans will remain humans, I think, no matter what technology you give a story. You've still got you've still got that opportunity to tell a good character piece if you so choose to do so.
0: The issue with having it as a sequel is at that time where we left it in Voyager. We have got so much technology. We've got trans warp um, and all sorts of slipstream you've got all sorts of other technology that literally, here comes a problem, Oh, we'll just get this done, and oh, there it is.
2: That's why I think they went for a prequel.
0: Me too, and that's what I liked about it. Now, as Mike was saying, it's good in some respects, because they know where they can and can't go, because they've got the structure in and everything else. But then, then you've got, of course, the fans who are just going... Oh, I don't like it. So it looks nothing like it did in the 60s. And to me, I'm saying, seriously, you want a new show to come out?
2: Yeah, but they and... did this with TNG.
0: I know. Well, they when they, when they
2: announced make... TNG, the people were up in arms because you can't. What do you mean you want to make a new series with a new cast and call the ship the Enterprise did? They were up in arms. And then okay. they they swung around. Then they announced Enterprise. You can't do a prequel. They can do a prequel. And then they moaned in Enterprise because the Romulans were in it and they weren't supposed to encounter the Romulans that early. Yeah. You know, and the Romulans had cloaking technology, which wasn't supposed to happen until um, TOS. So it doesn't matter what incarnation of Star Trek comes out, someone's going to moan about it. You know, okay. people moan about DS9 because it, it was, there it was humans arguing with each other.
0: Exactly. And it's just like the thing with fans is you always get this. All you see is people complaining, going, I oh, don't like it, because that doesn't look like it did back then. That breaks canon. Well, canon is the latest thing that they bring out on screen. Um, one example is Warp 10. So if, there was a few times that Captain Kirk took the Enterprise over Warp 10, and then that got it's completely written. Yeah. Um, that got completely rewritten when it came to Voyager, and warp 10 was the fastest you could go. And you'd got even in the sort of the actual um, TOS films, you'd got at warp, then going round, sort of doing corners and going around the sun. But then again, in Voyager, the rules of warp sort of straight line, no left and right. <laughs> Yeah, but
2: you've got to admit, you'd love to have seen Kirk have a salamander vibe.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, it's just, Canon has always been rewritten to fit whatever they were doing at the time. Now,
1: one of the things... To varying degrees of success, it has to be said.
0: Yes,
2: It's like the transports are on hologram. They they work when they need them to work, and they break down when they need them to break down. You know, it's like Diana Troy. She was an empath one week and a telepath the next.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we're just talking about TV and the movies at the moment when it com- comes to canon. But I, I'm a huge reader of original series paperbacks. And I think novels and novelizations are so much more capable of creating backstory, putting canon in place, which they're not canon. We all know that. But they do such a better job. And most of my. Most of my worldview when it comes to Star Trek is pulled from novels, even though it it has no foundation in canon at all.
0: Absolutely, I'm the same, um, except for me, I'm more of the TNG DS9 Voyager era novels. And, like, for example, on the ships, you've got holograms coming up, which you didn't really see in the TV show. Again, it was a money thing, a time thing, um, technology thing, that it just wasn't possible for... Um, doing it on a weekly show, Um, especially with the rate that they had to get these things out sort of thing because they're still filming while things were actually being shown. Um, Whereas, especially as it's on a streaming service, they're not limited to the 44-minute rule or anything else like that.
1: Has has that been confirmed for Discovery? Anything they are confirmed about Discovery
2: in relation to the actual product is it's going to be more mature in its content, uh, both sexually and, and violence-wise, and the average running time of the show is going to be around about 45 to 50 minutes.
1: Right, okay. Because when people say, oh, it's on a streaming service, the, the first thing you think is, right, they're going to drop it all in one go, as Netflix and Amazon do for their own original content.
0: Not always. They have a lot of content they still release weekly.
1: Isn't that what they've licensed and bought in, though?
2: Yeah, it's whatever license agreement Netflix signed.
1: Yeah. If, if Netflix make their own content, they release it straight away. So CBS said weekly. Okay, fair enough. That they, they do that. Now I say Amazon shows some stuff on a weekly basis. Uh, that's the right right like the licensing rights they've got. Uh, that I was disappointed in, but I understand why they do it purely for economics. The second benefit of streaming is that you're not tied to 42, 44 minutes for network broadcast. That was my, one of my main worries, that the writers are going to be hamstrung by editors having to cut down episodes to fit broadcast television.
0: Now, what they've said is they will, of course, be aiming for the 45-50 minute mark. But if an episode needs to be 60-65 minutes or something, it will be that amount of time. Is, is CBS
2: All Access a streaming service like Netflix, or is it like a streaming service that has adverts?
1: Yeah, there's two... P- Pay tiers, isn't the basic one, you get the content with adverts or you can pay a premium and have it without adverts.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, right. So I'm just thinking if, if the thinking of the advert, then that would factor into the length of the program.
1: Yeah. that That's one another concern of the whole concept of traditional networks offering streaming services, but trying to still stick to the old model, you know, hour, hour, half an hour or hour time slots basically it's the same delivery just done over the internet instead of the airwaves
0: but yeah what they've said is they're aiming for around the 45 50 minute mark but they're not set to that in stone for me that made me happy because i know when it comes to even things coming out in the movies um the amount of times a lot of things get lost because they have to cut it down because they don't want it over say two and a half hours Batman vs. Superman. Um, That was a prime example. They cut a whole load of that because it was originally over three hours long. And they were quite... Didn't make it any better. (laughs) I actually enjoyed that film. I really like it. Really? Yeah. I've only seen
1: the extended version, so I've no idea what the theatrical version was.
0: Yeah, they missed out quite um, a few, I think, important parts to it. I'm happy with the way that's to be structured so i think they've got plenty of time for um doing the storytelling and like they did after gene roddenberry's death they had more internal conflict which is part of daily life um you can work with someone that little things can end up exploding over nothing uh, misunderstandings it's who we are and i think we're going to get the chance even more so to sort of see that and we saw that quite a bit in say Voyager with Janeway and Seven of Nine um, for example and the internal struggle between what was going on there and it'll be good to see well for me I think it'll be good to see more of that
2: I'd just like to find out to listeners that yes this is a Star Trek Discovery podcast even though Steve keeps mentioning Voyager
0: well at the moment we haven't seen discovery so we're talking about what we know of it and where it fits into the current star trek timeline so just a voyager fanboy just admit it i am i love voyager
1: i was shocked how many voyager paperbacks i had when i had a bit clearing out my shelves this weekend
0: well i can't remember buying
1: them (laughs) remember reading them
0: (laughs) one of the things you mentioned Mike was about um, the novels and about how they fill in backstories and one of the things that even with Brian Fuller leaving the show um, even though his main idea is still where they went from the only thing that didn't happen with Fuller's um, with what Fuller wanted was he wanted it to be sort of more American horror story, sort of each season was a different part of an anthology sort of thing. Um, But there were some things they've changed, but story-wise, it's from what I've been able to get from panels and interviews and things like that, it's all still based on Brian Fuller's vision of what Discovery should be. And one of the people who's behind that is Kirsten Beyer, who has written several of the novels that continued voyager um which i've recently been reading and the way she has been able to integrate previous things from the next generation deep space 9 voyager fits so well and the writing it's so clever and the fact that she was being brought into doing that and, of course, they've been working with David Mack, who's doing the novelizations for Discovery, which the first one comes out in, I think it's October or November. And we'll have, um, oh, no, it isn't, sorry. Um, it's the 26th of September. Um, but, yeah, hopefully in November we'll do an episode on the novel.
1: Yeah, um, I, went, I went to pre-order that on Amazon. I saw the price and clicked away. <laughs>
2: They have pointed out, though, that you don't have to read the novel to make sense of the series, which is good.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But the way that people like David Mack are working very closely to what they're actually doing on the on-screen script, due to, like, especially with the Destiny novels that David Mack came out with and all the other ones that he's been involved with, the fact that we have these people who... They are Trek fans themselves. They are Trek writers. Um, They are sort of New York Times bestsellers. They have the skills. They know the law. And they've even had people who have come in to check on stuff that they're writing. When it comes to the novels and the TV stuff, they've been working very closely to make sure everything lines up. To me, that makes me very happy. because. You didn't really have that um, when it came to the previous incarnations of Star Trek. Yeah,
1: that's that's true. It's uh, the Star Trek uh, collected works on paperback, mainly through pocketbooks books in the early years. Certainly, never benefited from the, you know, the the edit- editorial from on high like something like the Star Wars uh, novels did. Although, of course, <laughs> when they were bought by Disney, off they went as well.
0: Exactly, and the thing would is, is
1: benefit from a more coherent uh, alignment to the TV and movie series. But I, this is this is just me again. This is me again. Always, this is always going to be my, my own little world I live in. <laughs> uh, nothing the TV and movies done in terms of the Romulans has ever equaled what Diane Duane did in a series of the, on the Romulans. They were always how I pictured the Romulans should be. And TNG, DS9, and even Voyager, in a little way, ever came close, never came close. Now, is that a fault of the TV uh, writers? Is that the limitations of the TV or the movie budgets? Or is that just excellent work by the novelists?
2: Well, Star Trek does have some really good novelists. So some of, I mean, some of the books, in, especially some of the early books, were actually written by the scriptwriters. So they kind of carried on stories from um, from some of the episodes into the books and then expanded on them and, and grew on them and all that. Um, I mean, the, the only Romulan war that we've got at the moment is in book form. Although they're not considered a canon to the to the, to the fans, the, the books add that little bit extra. I mean, even William Shatner, when they killed Kirkoff, he thought, I'm not having that. And he brought Kirk back to life in books, yeah. and now you've got a series of books with William Shatner writing about Captain Kirk.
1: I mean, even the very small uh, segment in a novel called Spock's World that told the story of Uh, Jorak uh, and Sarak in different time, you know, in different times, of course, uh, and the uh, the birth of the Romulan Empire, as they came to be known. That pretty much cemented how I viewed that part of Star Trek. It bared no relation to what they did in the TV and movies. And that is probably something that is always going to be an issue, Uh, the expectations and the hopes of the viewers, as opposed to what they can actually produce for the screen.
2: The the other advantage of books um, is, like, you take the Jai Jai films, where he used the graphic novels to lead into the films and expand on certain aspects of the film. Especially the first one. I mean, you had um, Captain April in the, in the first um, film in the comic books, so Leaving the Internet. You had Captain April. You had how Pike became captain. You had Harry Mudd in Star Trek Into Darkness, which explained how they had the, the, um, the merchant ship that they went down to, the, to Kronos on. So they've used the, the comic books in, in the, the JVA verse to, to build the story into the film. But you don't have to read the story to enjoy the film.
1: Yeah, that's uh, modern modern TV productions. Although there is still room for the uh, the episodic sort of television, although not a lot. It has to be uh, it has to be said. Uh, the idea of a, a series anthology, where each season tells a different story, is about one of the probably closest we get to that now. Yeah. Even lower budget uh, sci-fi shows like Killjoys or Dark Matter still have a very strong arc running through them. Exactly. Would you
2: would you if you, would you be more you're you're a bit on about it, Mike, would you have be been more into it if it was gonna be an anthology series and it was gonna jump like twenty, thirty years each series?
1: I I would definitely I definitely like the idea of each season, even if a season was only six episodes, you know, the how many we ended up with? Is it fifteen? Yeah. Fifteen. Yeah, so that's a that's a pretty good number that is. Uh, yeah, even if uh, they've done Six episodes a year, and each season had been totally different. You know, first on a ship, then on a base. I think that had given the writers really something to stretch their legs. Obviously, the economics of that might have been questionable. So, obviously, uh, trying to focus on well, two ships, as it turned out, in two separate uh, half seasons uh, with a artificially created gap between them. God bless them. CBS. It, it's so you can have your Christmas pudding. Of course it is. It's got yeah. nothing to do with spreading out the subscriptions. <laughs> no, nothing at all. Stop
0: being so cynical. <laughs> but then you can always drop it for that period of time anyway. No,
2: you can't because they've been really crafty. You know, the release schedule, If you, you have to pay for a month, right? Um, so it's a month and then if you, you can't drop it and then come back, because the episodes will be there in the next month, so it's basically you've got to do at least two months in a row. They've been really crafted the way they've done it.
0: Yeah, but if you, you could, you could, if you wanted to, and you're on a budget, is wait to watch it for um, a few weeks, and then you just get it for um, the one month, and then you can always just get it.
2: Yeah, we can. But are CBS or Access going to do that? Yeah. Netflix are going to do that. but Are CBS going to? Because okay. Netflix, have said, they'll, they'll hold the series. So, you, you can, like you said, you could go on holiday for two or three weeks, which is what I'm going to be doing, um, <laughs> and miss the first three weeks, and then come back and just watch a free episode.
0: Yeah, but... you, can, you can stream it exactly the same way you do with Netflix. So you can just subscribe for a month, watch the entire half season before um, Christmas. Um, so you can do that in November. And then once the second half is finished, you can then do the... Um, the same again um, come sort of, what, spring?
2: So so could they then just wait until the second lot and then just sign up and, watch, and catch up and then carry on watching? Yeah. And so they're going to stop pilot just like Netflix do?
0: Yep, yeah, it'll be accessible exactly the same way.
1: Yeah, I, c- I can't see... They can't really do anything else. The whole point of CBS All Access is that you get full access to entire, our entire library. We don't... Take think if they start taking content off the service and they own the rights to that set content and still charge people for access, they would be in for a lot of problems keeping subscribers. Netflix and Amazon can do it because people recognize the fact that they are buying licensed content from third party sources and it goes away after a time. but even then, you know when people's favorite show goes off, they raise a racket in that case then that's even better if you're on a budget
2: because. Provided you can wait, then well, you, that, can, just, you the argument, can just wait. It?
1: Yeah, you can, you can say, "Oh, this costs so much to watch," and they say, "Well, wait three months and watch it all in one go. No worries." <laughs> but can we wait? <laughs> I've got no choice. I'm not going to be here. Yet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about different aspects of the production and that so far. Now we know very little about the Federation. Um, As a whole, we've seen small clips of the, was it the USS Shinzel? And we've only really seen a bit of three of the characters. Um, One is Michael Burnham.
2: Yeah, who's the lead?
0: Yep, so that is Soneka Martin-Green. Now, we've seen a little bit about her. We know she's the first officer of the Shinzel. Something happens, and she... Becomes the first officer of Discovery. Oh, I do know what happens, but I'm not going to spoil. Well, yeah, some of us have heard little bits. But again, yeah, we don't want to spoil. So we're not going to sort of go into that sort of detail. As Mike said, he's sort of tried keeping away from stuff as well. We've also got the two cats. Just
2: before you move on from her, though, I just want to say, I do think it's an interesting angle, that gone. that she's a human raised on Vulcan. Yes. That um, is an interesting angle.
0: Now... We know that saying happens to her parents, but we don't know the details about it. Now, one of the reasons why I put in for reference at the beginning was um, to sort of try and sort of establish roughly how old Kirk was because, of course, there's no real mention of siblings, whether it's step-siblings um, or adopted siblings um, from Spock. But of course, that didn't stop him getting... Um, A brother um, later on. (laughs) Old Soybuck. Yeah. So it's not unusual for. But don't forget, like Spock said he's not a brother, brother. Yeah. He's a half brother. So for Spock not to mention anything about his family, of course, we didn't really get to hear anything about his family until his dad came on board the USS Enterprise and he goes, (laughs) yeah, that's my dad, sort of thing. Uh, and
1: that they say they set that pretty much in stone from from day one. The, the Vulcan race, Vulcan families are very privacy orientated, so yeah. they gave themselves an out even before they re- they realised they needed it decades later to yeah. to introduce forward characters. planning. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the great the great thing about Cyborg, they didn't go into great detail in the movie. The novelization sets it in stone. It's a fantastic. Uh, explanation, I'd buy it. And as we've said with Canon before, if you want to add something in between plot A and plot C, if you can explain it so it fits in, great, fantastic, I'll go along with you all the right to the end. And if they, if they, it looks like they're coming up with a decent reason why this human woman uh, or human girl at the time was raised on Vulcan.
2: and 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 I do like the casting more because anyone who's watched Gotham will know that the guy playing Sadek is a great act.
0: Um, as I said, we've really only really seen three characters so far. So one is the first officer, Michael Burnham. Um, the second one is um, Jason Isaacs, um, who we were just mentioning, um, who plays Captain Gabriel.
2: Yeah, who, in Jason Isaacs' own words, is a bit messed up in the head.
0: But it's good that we have that sort of dynamic because... We've had captains, we've always got that sort of trope when it comes to some of the captains and especially admirals and things like that, um, and ambassadors when it comes to Star Trek. So it's nice that we have one of the main characters that isn't all sort of clean and simple, that there's a bit more sort of dimension to them. So um, it'll be interesting to see sort of where they take this. And the other captain that we've seen is Michelle Yeoh, who plays Captain Philippa, um, I want to say Giorgio, but whether or not that's pronounced correctly.
2: Yeah, well, well, I'm not going to correct you in case it's not right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but then I'm always butchering names, as people will get to know quite quickly as they listen to the show or any other show that I've been on.
2: They have announced some other characters as well. I mean, we've got, I mean, we've, this, this is what plays into um, when people you don't surprise when they kicked off about flux. They've never seen a Dynobian before. And in this episode, we uh, discover you've got yet another alien species, which is, um, is it a Kelp? Kelpian? Like yeah, um, yeah,
0: Saru, Lieutenant Saru, I think it is. Doug Jones plays um, the character. Again, we've just seen a clip of him. We don't know anything about him because um, so far the trailers have mainly looked at Klingons or these three Federation um characters yeah. for the most
1: part. Apart
2: from the fact they can sense death.
0: Yeah, yeah. interesting to see where Weird. that's yeah. going to go.
1: A little guy carrying a flag with uh Babylon 5 printed on it and ran past my mind when I first saw that. <laughs> I'm thinking, so long to see him stop. Trying. Yeah. <laughs> I've, okay, seen enough,
2: <laughs> I've seen that clip and he says my speeches have been biologically dispositioned for one thing and I thought, really? Millions of years of evolution and that's what they ended up with.
0: I think it's more the case that they're a species that's been prey. So they've been able to advance to a place where they can go into space, but still they are prey. Um, So they have this sort of, it's like a lot of animals. They are very good at knowing if they're being tracked and they've got internal defences and things like that. So I think his species might be something like that. That's the take I get on that. Um,
2: if that is the case, then it'll be interesting to see if you're going to see his species adversary later.
0: We know very little about the ships. We know very little about the captains. And um, all we do know is Michael Burnham um, will be played by Sneaker Martin-Green, and she will be the lead character of it all. Now, one of the other Federation characters that has sort of kicked up a bit of a hoo-ha... Um, with fans especially, is a character that we've actually mentioned, um, Harry Mudd. Harry Mudd was someone that we saw in the original series. So we see him probably around 13 years after this is based. One of the things is he's very sort of up in your face and very confident, which you didn't really get to see in the original series. My take on that is he was, of course, a lot younger then, sort of had all these ideas and plans, things go terribly wrong, and he's then just a peddler when we see him on, was it, K7?
1: I think the writers, they must know what they're doing, but I've got to admit that character has me worried. Harry Mud wasn't on K7.
0: Which starbase was it that he was...
1: No, um, no the, the trouble with
2: Tribbles was it's supposed to be Harry Mud, but Oh Cyrano Jones, that yeah, it was Solana Jones. Sorry. sorry yeah, yeah. But it should have been Harry Mud, but they had contract problems or money problems or something, so they couldn't so they went with, they just created a new category. But
0: yeah, I'm trying to think, when did we I think when was it that we did see Harry Mudd in there?
2: You had you had him um when he was um ruling the local robots and Kirk did what Kirk does and talks a to robot today?
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, You uh, also appeared in the animated series as well.
2: Yeah, in the animated series, and also when he was um, selling women who use drugs uh, to start young.
1: Yeah, um, Hawkeort Fenton Mud, what great name! <laughs> I know that was brilliant. I loved the
2: episode. The end of that episode, they create his wife about fifty times, so she could just <laughs> nag him for eternity. <laughs>
1: I gotta say, he was an enjoyable character in the original series. If in today's you know, today's world, it's not probably a character you would write, at least not take seriously. From what I've seen, they are taking this Harry Mud seriously. He's not a figure of fun. He's not this gallivanting dandy that comes in for an episode and disappears. He seems to be a. <laughs> one of the main main secondary characters. Yeah, um, a, lot he, of, a lot of lots of episodes are going to revolve around him, unless he literally does pop in for a couple of minutes every episode, which should, seems to be a waste if he did.
0: I can see him instigating something like he had in the previous episodes that we saw, where something happens because he got involved, and well, he just doesn't care because he's a common. Well, you
2: got that bit in the one. trailer where he says, "This is where it goes boom." Yeah. Which means he—he's something going on. What he knows is what's coming, or something. I mean, you know, obviously we're speculating based on like two seconds of screen time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It, It may be that people like him, you know, alone in small spaceships, are are the vanguard of the Federation. They are going into these unexplored regions, looking for opportunities and bringing back intelligence, which Starfleet occasionally makes use of. You know, they are the like neelix was in in voyager he knew you he, he know the area a little bit and occasionally come in useful but of course that also could mean that they're working their own angle starfleet be damned
2: yeah they are they are doing a lot of things in discovery that that others have hinted at but are actually doing, i mean the, the lead character is not the captain the show's going to feature two captains and two ships uh, you've got an openly gay character
0: well, actually, there's more than two ships because in the trailer we see a third one.
2: Oh, that's the Europa.
0: Yeah. So for, it seems that right off the bat we're seeing multiple ships, which you don't tend to see that often um, when it comes to Star Trek. It's always the primary thing. You don't tend to see much else.
2: Yeah. So they're obviously like casting a wide net to, and so they can go in lots of different directions in season two and and beyond.
0: Now, the other character, which is, I think, the one that you were thinking of, um, which is a Federation character that's also kicked up um, another bit of um, stink within um, the fan base, um, at least, is, of course, um, a Vulcan character. Is that the one you were thinking of? No, tell Alright. All right. Um, but yeah, Sarak. So this is Ambassador Sarak, which is Spock's father. And this time, um, this will be played by James Frain. Excellent.
1: Of... Excellent actor. Yeah. And of course, as we know, uh, the Vulcan's long-lived people, it makes absolute sense that people of his rank, of his status, would play a part in the Federation's expansion. And so... of course, if you're going to use a central Vulcan character, then you must well go with one you know.
2: Yeah, and it also makes perfect sense, because obviously this is after Enterprise, and we know from Enterprise that when they first started out, they used the Vulcan star charts.
0: We know that we had ambassadors on Earth, and we had our own ambassadors on Vulcan, so we know from the very early days, we had that sort of working relationship, which, of course, when near the end of Enterprise, it was coming, a lot of the storylines were about making sure the timeline was kept with creating the United Federation of Planets. So you'd got those core um, alien races um, that originally signed the, um, the UFP charter, um, which included humans and included Vulcans. So, to have that relationship carry on, but still not many people from Vulcan serving, still because we know from things that have been said, there weren't really many Vulcans that tended to be aboard Federation starships um, at no, that they, particular they probably,
1: time. They probably still looked at the human race as kids running around the galaxy with very big guns. And that was something the Vulcan people, as, as, a, as a group, really frowned upon. And as yeah. you said, that, the creation of the Federation, uh, in part due to the events of the, the Romulan War that we never really got around to in uh, Enterprise, but that final season... It, it was inspirational for for this Star Trek fan. The, the close ties to the original series, the building of the Federation and Starfleet. The only thing that stuck a knife into my ribs and twisted every now and again was the fact that the change in the Vulcans, it seemed, that should have taken place generations beforehand. I think for plot points that uh, that didn't really work. It's like, it's like you know Sorak came along started the change to the embrace of logic and then they kind of a couple of thousands of years later they stumbled just in time for, for him to find humanity and then miraculously 100 years later they're, they're back on track it'll be interesting to see what they do with the uh, the main Vulcan characters in this show
0: yeah well I think I'm not sure how much um, Sarak will be involved um, I think he's just another one of the secondary, contacts sort of the sort of person you'll sort of hear from through subspace communications, sort of thing um more than sort of in person and it'll be more used for maybe flashbacks of michael as a child i think he's going to be more involved in that way than with the actual uss discovery yeah or um
2: as her council
0: but yeah again it'll be interesting to see how they go with that so colin you thought when I first started going through some of these Federation characters you thought I was going to go with someone. Who was that?
2: Anthony Rapp, the actor, is going to be playing uh, Lieutenant Paul Stamets.
0: Oh, he's the... um...
2: The openly gay character. Because he's already... Not the only gay aspect, but he's he's actually said um, that he's basically the spark of the crew. Because he's seriously intelligent.
0: Yeah, he's the guy that's into... um... Plants and bugs and things like
2: that. Uh, yeah, fungi.
0: Fungi. Fun
2: that's it. He's a fungi guy, guy, and apparently the fungi is—he he's, he's, said he's like—I don't know—maybe the fungi is like magic mushrooms or something. I don't know. But yeah, there's, there's, I mean, you, the backlash on an on, on enterprise has been basically because the, the lead is a female um, who's not white, so you had the backlash on that. Uh, then you had the backlash because Captain Lorca is—is. English and uh, some people wanted American captain. Um, And then you had the other backlash which was the openly gay couple. So that's the three main backlashes that have been on the the show and the ships aside because some people don't like to look at the ship. But the character-wise, that's the three main backlashes.
0: None of those three topics were any of the things that came to mind when we've been discussing so far this episode. No,
2: because to us they're not relevant.
0: (laughs) Exactly. They're not
2: relevant. You know,
0: when I hear this I'm just thinking... If you're really a Star Trek fan, then aren't you actually interested in diversity? So why is this an issue?
2: Yeah, this, this is basically what Star Trek's all about. And if you don't get it, then why you watch it?
0: But then some people do just watch it because it's science fiction and not for the ideals of what the Federation stands for. So you do get the sort of general sci-fi fans that will watch these sort of things still.
1: Oh, that, that one of the beauties of uh, Enterprise Terra Prime. Where they had the uh, you know the Earth human humanity first movement. Yeah, it was a, a perfect example. You you've, you're living in a you're living in a world in a in a galaxy where there is cross cross species interactions. There are you're surrounded by alien life, intelligent alien life, significantly more advanced than you in many ways, and yet you there are still elements who. Think humanity is better than everybody else, and by and subdividing that, certain races within humanity are better than others. It's guaranteed they were hitting you with a stick <laughs> to get that notion through to you, but I, I find it incredibly amusing in that episode in particular when they, they were having a go at Paul and uh, Trip for you know, been in a relationship and you think, hang on a minute, you know, look at your skin color. You're protesting something a hundred years ago. You would have been the victim of this. And there's some Asians there and you go 150 years ago. You would have been the victim of this The human race moves on. And we will, and it's just the same things repeating themselves just a little bit further up the ladder. We're in a series where there is Spock. There are human crossbreeds with other species that is the world this story is set in. How can you be concerned about what two humans do with each other when you are, when you're within that bigger picture? And that's that's what you say. There are two guys who are in a stable relationship. There are, is a guy who maybe sleeps around. There are maybe a woman who sleeps around with women or men. It doesn't matter. It's not important to, to tell another the story. They've decided to make uh, a main focus of a gay couple in a steady relationship, fantastic. No worries about that because they'll bring their own part to the story. And I've seen enough t- t- modern television nowadays to know that if you, work, if you work it right, if you don't exploit it, if you don't titillate it, they are just two people in a relationship trying, trying to make the best of things set on board a spaceship.
2: Yeah, well said.
0: Okay, so do either of you have anything else that you want to say regarding... Discovery or especially the Federation
1: Uh, what I've seen of Discovery I don't like it and I'll admit quite openly I hate the Enterprise D (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't like the Excelsior uh, one bit I think the Enterprise E looks fantastic but I don't think it's a a warship made to battle the Borg if you're being honest the Enterprise J is a laugh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but we'll see how we go. <laughs> um,
2: I'm not going to follow that up because it's not <laughs> worth it. I just want to say uh, a big thank you to everyone who's been listening to the daylight of these two episodes, and I'd also like to thank um, John Mills, who's Castle Junkie on Twitter, uh, who's created the logo for to the podcast, uh, which you'll obviously we're recording this before we release them, but we have got a final draft today, uh, so when John listens to this, you'll know what I mean. So, Kessel Junkie on Twitter, folks, give him a follow. Um, and uh, he's, he's he's the creator of Harlugo. So thank, I just want to say thanks to him. And the
0: website, Created by Steve. Yep, if you'd like to get in contact with us, head over to our website, newhorizons.show where you can find all of our episodes there. And also get in contact with us on Facebook. The address is facebook.com forward slash new horizons podcast if you'd like to get us on twitter go to twitter.com forward slash new horizons cast or it's just through the twitter app at new horizons cast you can also find us on star trek riser google plus and you can even leave us a voicemail at speakpipe.com forward slash new horizons podcast or by using the widgets at the side of the web page on our website. And if you'd like to send us an email, please send us an email to crew at newhorizons.show, or you can just use the form on our contact us page. Do you want to plug
2: your Twitter,
1: Mike? I can do, uh, although I don't use it uh, that much, except to retweet everybody else and all the, all the podcasts I listen to, which is a lot. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Jarrak, J-A-R-R-A-K, uh, currently, all the podcasts I'm doing is Stargate Archives. Like I say, the occasional uh, look at uh, early Stargate SG1, if you want to have a quick look at that, StargateArchives.com. Uh, otherwise, uh, enjoy Star Trek. And he listens to about the same podcast as what Steve makes. <laughs> Just about, yeah.
0: <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And until next time, goodbye.